This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations, to find my backlist of interviews, or to check out my summer reading guide for 2023, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. There is also a link to the summer reading guide in the show notes. I am thrilled to announce that I have launched a new Patreon level for those interested in accessing even more unique bonus content. My original level, called Page Turners, still includes my popular Early Reads program, where patrons have access to monthly early digital reads through NetGalley, and exclusive pre-publication author chats, as well as monthly bonus episodes and fun surprise content. My new level is entitled Lit Lovers and includes all of the page turners' benefits, as well as access to my new Traveling Galley program, where patrons have early access to at least three to four new titles a month that are in print galley form and are passed along to other members, a monthly fiction-nonfiction pairing episode, a monthly episode containing bonus, spoiler-filled interviews with three authors, and finally, read-alike requests via email. Lit lovers can send me a book they loved, and I will respond with similar titles. This was such a popular and time-consuming add-on for me that I am moving it off of my main show. My true love is author conversations, and I want to be able to keep that focus on the show. Today, for this behind-the-scenes episode, Jenny Brown, Senior Editor at Shelf Awareness, joins me to chat all about the company and what they do in the literary world. Jenny grew up in Athena and John Rollins bookstores and the Kalamazoo Public Library in Michigan. She has served in editorial roles at Harper and Knopf, edited reviews at Publishers Weekly and Shelf Awareness, and has been the librarian at Bank Street College of Education. When she's not reading, you may find her performing at Don't Tell Mama in New York. I am a huge fan of Shelf Awareness and thoroughly enjoyed chatting with Jenny. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Welcome, Jenny. How are you today? I'm well, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me today. I can't tell you how excited that I am that you are joining me for this special behind-the-scenes episode. I love Shelf Awareness. I read it every single morning, first thing. It is my go-to for the publishing industry and what's happening. And so this is really exciting to actually get to talk with somebody who works there. 
Well, thank you for your kind words. I'm always excited to meet a shelf reader. So why don't we start out with you giving me an overview of shelf awareness, everything that it does, and then we can talk a little bit about the history after that. Sure. So shelf awareness started as a newsletter for the trade, meaning publishers, booksellers, librarians, authors, artists in 2005. And it started sort of gingerly, I guess, in in June, right around the time of the old book con and just kept growing. And so since then, we've launched Shelf for Readers and we have a Maximum Shelf which is a a shelf that's dedicated to one book in particular. And so there's a review of the book and an interview with the author and also our pre-order, which is our newest sort of offering for booksellers. And that is 11 titles that we send out as a standalone piece from our partner bookstores and our Shelf Pro subscribers. And that was just really launched during COVID um, as a way of helping booksellers get pre-orders during a time when Amazon was sort of not prioritizing books ahead of some of the other things they were getting out during COVID. So the newsletter that I referred to was Shelf Awareness Pro, which is what it sounds like you started with. And so you have Shelf Awareness Pro, which comes out Monday through Friday, except for holidays. And then you have Shelf Awareness for Readers, which comes out every Friday. Is that right? That's right. Shelf Awareness Pro is up to nearly 40,000 subscribers. And as we said, that's um, that goes out to the trade, publishers, booksellers, authors. Shelf for Readers is really aimed at consumers themselves. So while it started as just us, all of us at Shelf Awareness, sending out to our consumers, we now have something in the nature of 195 bookstore partners. So they also send it under their own logo with their store events, et cetera. And together, we have 675,000 subscribers. And that launched in June 2011, so roughly six years after the Shelf Pro launched. Got it. Well, what I love about Shelf Awareness Pro is that there is so much information disseminated there that I can't find anywhere else. So to me, it's the first thing I read in the morning when I wake up and I'm ready to kind of start my day. I pull my phone out and I look at Shelf Awareness Pro. Then I worry about some of the other newsletters. But I feel like there's so many good stories, events. I learn about bookstores I wasn't aware of. Whatever it is, there's so much information in there. Something's currently happening in the book world. There's a lot of talk about book selling, how publishing is going, just all sorts of information that truly I probably could find elsewhere, but it would take me hours to try to pull it all into one place. And so it's all right there together. And I love the reviews as well, which I seem to get on Fridays from like three different places. I think I get the shelf awareness, then I get the Blue Willow version, and then I think I get another bookstore's version. So it's kind of funny. I'm like, oh, here are all the review emails. And I love that as well, because it's great to hear what people think about certain titles. But to me, the Shelf Awareness Pro is what really makes you all stand out. Because as I said, I can't find that information elsewhere, at least not in a short, concise manner. Well, thank you, Cindy. And you know, I was just thinking as you were mentioning it, that For example, our obituary on Robert Gottlieb, who was sort of a storied figure in publishing at Knopf and also at The New Yorker, you know, just having that obituary with its links to an important Paris Review interview with Bob Gottlieb and The New York Times obit 
was really a wonderful thing for me. I just went down a rabbit hole of all the different pieces that had been written about him. One of the things that I love about Shelf Awareness Pro is that when it launched in June 2005, that was sort of when blogs were really taking off. So in my mind, the voice, um, which is really John Mutter, the editor-in-chief, his voice is so conversational in the way that blogs were at that time. And he sort of kept that voice throughout all these years, um, more than 15 years now, of writing these Shelf Awareness Pro pieces. So you almost feel, or I almost feel like he's talking to me directly. And I think that's one of the things that really makes Shelf Awareness unique. You feel like some an insider in the industry is talking to you as a fellow insider or aficionado of books. So, and I think the fact that he's been able to keep that for more than 15 years has been really quite wonderful. I love that. That's a great way to think about it. And that probably is why it is so appealing because you just feel like you're having a conversation almost. Someone's telling you all of this information that I just love. And on top of it, I have a Patreon community and I send out a weekly newsletter and I'll send a lot of links in the newsletter or a number of links to various things. And I'm always pulling things from shelf awareness or in my Facebook group. If I see a cool story, I'll pop it in there for my Patreon members. I just think it's a great resource and so many fun things. And I love all the photos in there. There's just a lot of information. And the Robert Gottlieb, I did the same thing, actually. And also, you all included Avid Reader, which I'd read before. And so that kind of connected that up with me and made me remember, oh, I loved that book. And so I'd like to hear more about other parts of his career. And I didn't realize he was so old when he passed away. So I just think there's a lot of really fascinating information. Yes. And over the weekend, I have to say, Cindy, my husband and I watched uh, Turn Every Page, which is the documentary his daughter Lizzie made about his relationship with Robert Caro, um, which has spanned, I think, more than 70 years from the time he wrote The Power Broker through his current, I think, what he hopes to be his final volume about Lyndon Johnson. So that was just part of the end of my rabbit hole. Okay, I'm going to have to add that to my list because it sounds like it would be really interesting as well. What is your role at Shelf Awareness and what did you do before Shelf Awareness? So, Cindy, this is, um, I'll try to make this as concise as I can. I started at Shelf in 2006 when John Mutter advertised that he would like a children's book reviewer. At that time, I was at Publishers Weekly as the children's reviews editor. And that's where I'd met John um, when he was in charge of news at Publishers Weekly. So I responded to the ad and John said, well, you know, it's just one review a week, Jenny. I'm not sure that's going to be enough for you. And I said, I really believe in what you're doing. And I'd like to take that job and I'll do some other things as freelance. So I took the job and I would start proposing things to John, like, could I cover ALA or could I go to the American Library Association or could I go to a bookstore event and cover that for you? So I just started sort of adding things, to, if you will, to my children's book coverage. So it grew and so did Shelf. And when Readers launched, I had the opportunity to do five reviews a week plus, you know, an interview here and there. So it just kept growing. And then I left Shelf in 2015 to be publisher of Knopf Books for Young Readers. And I did that for several years. And then I came back to shelf in this role. 
this role has been really exciting for me because I've been able to do adult books as well as children's. And John and I have partnered together so that I get to do a lot of book coverage in both pro and shelf for readers. And that has been just so exciting for me to watch shelf awareness grow in all these different ways. And did you feel like your time at Knopf then really informed what you were doing when you came back to shelf awareness? Yes, it definitely did. And I started on the book publishing side. So I was at what was then Harper and Row before Murdoch acquired it. And then I went to teach for a while. And then I went back to Harper um, in an educational role. So kind of my loves have been working on the educational side, as well as the book reviewing and book publishing side. So I've had a real opportunity to see the whole field if you will, of, of book publishing. Well, one of the things that has surprised me the most, the more involved I've gotten in the publishing world, in the book world, is how interconnected everything is. So I would certainly think that time spent on the publishing side would really help your time at Shelf Awareness as well, which it sounds like it has, because there is so much interconnectedness. Yes, that's so true. You know, there's so much that we get to do as a reviewer, you get to attend a lot of the events that publishers hold, a lot of the author events when they have speaking engagements, whether it's at a bookstore or a library or 92nd Street Y in New York or somewhere in Los Angeles. I mean, we just have so many opportunities to hear them, meet them, interview them. And it all sort of comes back full circle. So you get to know the publicity people, the editors the authors. And it's just really wonderful. What does your day-to-day look like? Well, because as you said, we um, Shelf for Readers comes out on Fridays, but for a very long time, we were Tuesdays and Fridays. The Friday-only publication schedule really started last February, I think it was, maybe March. So we kind of have a rhythm to our week in terms of making sure all of the reviews we plan to run two weeks hence. So for example, tomorrow I will be putting together all of the reviews for the July 17th issue so that Christian, um, who does our liaison with our bookstore partners, is able to send those titles out two weeks ahead to all of our bookstore partners. And they can make sure they have those titles in their stores when our newsletter goes out. So the idea is that whether you're walking into the bookstore or you prefer to order the books online on the bookstore's uh, website, you have access to those titles and they will be available to you. The big part of our week is doing all of that planning. And then, of course, we're editing those reviews, making sure that they're in from the reviewers. Um, What is our feature going to be for the reader's issue? And sometimes, Cindy, because I know we've talked a lot about pro and what we are trying to do more of is kind of find that synergy between shelf awareness pro and shelf awareness for readers so that if we have a terrific interview that we want to run in pro, we can also use that in readers on occasion so that those people who are coming to us as pure readers have an opportunity to benefit from some of the great interviews we get. It's so interesting that you mentioned readers being Tuesday and Friday, because when I was getting ready for this interview, I was thinking, okay, those come on Tuesday and Friday because I've subscribed forever. I get so many messages. 
that it hadn't really dawned on me that it was no longer Tuesday and Friday. So it is just Friday now. That's interesting. Well, I'm glad you said that and why it had happened because I thought I was going crazy. I'm like, I'm sure it was Tuesday and Friday for a long time. And it was for a very long time. And so what made you go down to just Friday? Well, we had some booksellers who, especially during the pandemic, they were communicating very regularly with their patrons. And I think they were concerned that their patrons were perhaps receiving too many um, messages from them. So, you know, our interest is always in serving the bookseller and what they need in order to do their work. So when this came up, we said, well, why don't we go to once a week? And then your patrons are just getting one message a week that has all of these reviews in it. And then the stores can still put their key events in their newsletter that comes out with the shelf awareness content, but they also are in a position where they can continue to communicate regularly with their patrons about, you know, books that have just come in or an author reminding them of an author's coming in this week or whatever other ideas they want to communicate. So you just referenced this a little bit, but I would love to flesh it out a little bit more. So shelf for readers can come to you just coming directly from self-awareness. But also with your partner bookstores, if people have signed up, like if I get Blue Willow's communications, I also get self-awareness for readers through Blue Willow where they have plugged in some of their own personal details. Can you talk a little bit more about how that looks on your side? Sure. So every bookseller who partners with self-awareness has the opportunity to put their logo at the top of the newsletter and then we run our In This Issue, which gives just kind of an overview of the titles, some of the titles that we're featuring, and also an author interview or a reading with, which is where an author talks about the books that they're reading or that they love. And then there's the opportunity to have current events from the bookseller. So they might say, this week we're having, you know, so-and-so into the bookstore and they're doing a signing from, you know, five to seven. Or they might say, we have, you know, a big school event on Tuesday or whatever they want to broadcast to their viewers. And then when you go as a customer, when you go to hit the buy button or more information, it takes you directly to Blue Willow's website in the case of your newsletter that you are getting from Blue, Blue Willow. If you're a Shelf Awareness subscriber then it takes you to Bookshop and all of the proceeds go to Bink, which is um, a wonderful charitable organization established by ABA to um, benefit booksellers in need. So if someone has you know, come down with cancer and they're not sure how they're going to pay their hospital bills, Bink helps support that. So that's kind of our way of giving back to booksellers because not everyone has a local bookstore, but we hope there will always be a local bookstore near everyone. Absolutely. I'm a huge indie bookstore proponent. I just think they are fabulous. And every time we travel, we make sure we find the local ones wherever we are and go visit them. I try to connect up with them. Back to my Patreon community, I have a bookseller every other month interview with different booksellers around the country. And it's just some of my favorite conversations. There's nothing better than an indie bookstore. I completely agree. They're just so much fun to visit. So tell me though, 195 partners, why wouldn't every indie bookstore partner? It's a good question. I mean, I, sometimes I think it's just because we haven't reached them yet or they don't know that that's an op uh, opportunity they have. Um, many of the booksellers find us through their regional booksellers. As you found, I think you met Christiane, my colleague, when you were at Mountains and Plains 
you know, I think a lot of the newer booksellers aren't always aware that they have all this support available to them. And that's part of our sort of challenge is to make sure that we find a way to reach those booksellers who might want some of the things we provide. Makes sense. And yes, that's exactly how we got connected up. I went to the Spring Con for Mountains and Plains and I saw Christiane and I was like, oh, I love shelf awareness. I want to talk to somebody for my behind the scenes series. So she connected us up. I would think it would be such a great resource for every store. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, it sounds like attending those type of events and going to ALA and ABA and all these different things are a good way to just continue to get your name out there. Yes, I would agree with that. And one of my favorite stories, and actually I've heard this story a number of times in different situations, are booksellers who found the bookstore that they wanted to purchase through Shelf Awareness Pro. So we often do pieces about, you know, someone who's moving locations or someone who's looking for a buyer or someone who's ready to retire from bookselling. And that's often how someone who has been yearning to open a bookstore will find just the right match. And it's happened several times. So that is really exciting to me whenever that happens. That's such a great story. And just so sweet that people are finding the stores they want to buy in Shelf Awareness. I think I've learned about a number of stores that way and reached out to them to interview them when you've highlighted various stores and they have really cool things that have happened there. I love that. And also the marriage proposals in the bookstores. That's another of my favorite. I was just thinking about that. I was going to say, and the marriage proposals. And also, I think I first learned about Literati in Ann Arbor through you all with their typewriter and how they have people come in and type different notes on it. I'm pretty sure that's how I learned about them. So I just think that you are such a wonderful resource for stores. And as I said, I mean, I'm not a bookseller or a librarian, but I've subscribed to Shelf Awareness Pro probably for at least eight years. Oh, I love that, Cindy. Well, it's just so interesting. So let's talk about the review side. I asked my patrons if they had any questions, and one of them wanted to know what makes a good review for you all and how you decide what books you're going to review. Well, one of the things that that is a shelf awareness sort of mantra is that we only run positive reviews. So because we can only do 25 reviews per week, our belief is that we want to spread the word about books that people are loving. So many of our reviewers are booksellers, others are librarians, and then we have others who are just wonderful writers and professional reviewers. But a lot of them also have sort of their niche that they love, like if they're history buffs or, um, you know, some do only nonfiction, some love romance, some love mysteries. And then, of course, we have many that sort of cross over into all kinds of different genres. What we try to do is get a mix of all of those genres I mentioned, romance, mystery, nonfiction, self-help, memoir. And then we also look very carefully at our balance of indie publishers, as well as the big five. And by that, I mean like HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, Little Brown, Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins. We want to make sure that we're not only filling the review slots with those really big publishers, but also the smaller publishers who are doing really interesting things as well. And I think there are more and more of those smaller publishers that are really making a name for themselves. Like, I love the Spiegel and Grau titles. Yes, they're doing some really exciting things. And also, I think Chronicle is doing a lot more mainstream kind of stuff and Workman 
and source books is really doing some interesting things. So I think, you know, and Europa editions, of course. So there are a lot of wonderful smaller publishers who we really try to cover. I should have thought of source books because I actually read a ton of their books and I think they do a fabulous job and I love Europa as well. So you find the books that you want to review and then you assign them to people. Is that sort of your process? And then you give them guidelines for what a good review would look like for you all. And I'm assuming once you've gotten going with people, they know what you're looking for. But when you start with somebody new, you say, okay, here's kind of what we're looking for. Well, when someone starts um, new with us as a reviewer, we ask them to tell us what their interests are, as well as send us a sample of some other reviews they've written. And then we do something maybe slightly different from some other reviewers, which is we put together a list of all the the prominent titles that are coming out in a particular month, and the reviewers get a chance to ask for the books they really want. And we give them sort of a range of books to choose from because, as I said, you know, we only do positive reviews. So we want to make sure that a book has its best chance to find its ideal reviewer. Sometimes we have, you know, several reviewers who are all clamoring for the same book, and we try to balance that out too from month to month. So if one person got their first choice in May. Maybe we give somebody else their first choice in June. Makes sense. And it's really nice that you work to match the reviewers up with the books that appeal to them. Because I know when I used to review for one entity, they would just send me the title I was going to review. And a lot of times it wasn't a great fit for me. So it's really nice to be able to pick and choose and say, you know, this book is right up my alley, or I think it's going to be right up my alley. I'd really like to review this particular book. Yes, we try to do that wherever possible. And sometimes, Cindy, if we if there's a book that we really want to make sure is reviewed, we might ask someone who we know has a particular interest in this genre or this author. And especially, for example, if we want to have an interview with that author, we might approach a particular reviewer about working on that particular book. That makes sense. And do you have guidelines for what you consider to be a good review? Obviously, they're positive reviews, but are there things you're looking for in your reviews? Yes. We strongly encourage our reviewers to start off in that very first sentence or two to tell us what you thought of the book, some kind of critical assessment, and then use the rest of the review to support that, and then sort of have a clincher that ties it all together. That's what we aim for. And we also have a discover line, we call it, which is the line that sort of encapsulates the review. And we have that run in our at the bottom of the review. So you see that more prominently in our pro reviews right now, but it does show up in our archive for the reader reviews. I'm so glad you mentioned the archive because I was thinking about that a minute ago. That's the other wonderful thing is that in addition to sending out the newsletters, all of that is on your website. So anytime I'm thinking, I know I came across something there, I just go back, search, and I can usually pop up whatever it is I need. So if somebody's new to Shelf Awareness now, they can go back and read years and years of all of these fabulous stories and good book reviews. Thank you, Cindy. We love our archive. And we do try to remind our readers of other books by that author that we've reviewed. So we have hyperlinks in the review of the current book that sends the reader, if they want to, back to the previous titles by this author. I think that's so nice because when you find an author that's new to you and they have a good backlist, it's wonderful to have it right there at your disposal to just find earlier reviews and see which books might appeal to you. That's our hope. 
Back to Shelf Awareness Pro. How do you decide what to include and how do people submit stories if they want to be included? Shelf Awareness Pro is really news driven. So we tend to give prominence to the big stories of the day. So for example, if someone like the AAP, the American Association of Publishers, has their report for how the bookselling community is doing, that would take, you know, sort of top slot. And then we do have some of the fun things that I love are the image of the day, which is often an author signing in a local bookstore or um, some event where an author is present, or perhaps a fundraiser for the bookstore that's clever. And that is submitted to news at Shelf Awareness, and they evaluate the various images they have available for that day. And I will just say this too, just a tip. If there's a bookseller out there who wants to get their image of the day into Shelf Awareness, if you can craft a caption that's clever, Um, When you send it in, it saves so much time because I will say our um, news editors are putting that together madly at like 5 a.m. so that it can go out at 8 a.m. every morning, as you mentioned, Cindy, first thing in the morning. Anything you can do to help (laughs) that process along Monday through Friday, we appreciate that. We also now have a cool idea of the day because so many booksellers came up with such great ideas of how to promote coming into the store, especially during COVID, you know, people had, I had a lot of booksellers tell me that they found so many useful ways to deal with situations during COVID by reading Shelf Awareness Pro, you know, how to put up a divider to protect the cashier from the patron and the patron from the cashier for that matter, and how to, you know, put books out so that people could just pop into the doorway and take a book and ring it up and take it with them, curbside pickup, delivery services, all those things were really helpful for people to think about different ways they could serve their patrons. I think that is my favorite part a lot of times is the image of the day, which you referenced when you were talking about some of this. And I think that's where the marriage proposals go usually, correct? Yes. (laughs) And I think maybe that's where I saw literati. I'm just trying to remember, maybe like there was a typewriter photo and they always have all those beautiful, they don't even look real snow photos. So I think they get featured a lot because they're really good about sending their stuff in. Yes, and have really clever captions. (laughs) So captions are the way to go. I'm hearing you like, add your really clever caption. And the chalkboard idea of the day is another great one. If someone has a really clever chalkboard outside their bookstore, you know, like we had some during the heat wave last summer and people would say, you know, come in, it's cool. And then they'd recommend a book. So people just get really clever and creative with ways to bring people into the store. I love those chalkboard ones. They are so much fun and usually pretty funny. Yes. (laughs) Well, has Shelf Awareness tried things that didn't work? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I would say it's more that we have sort of morphed to to better fit the needs of booksellers. So for example, when... We first launched the Maximum Shelf in 2009, in the fall of 2009. It was a review, an interview, a reading with, and usually one other piece. And we were just told by our readers that they just, they wanted to read it all, but it was just too much. So we just kind of 
we really heard them and we decided that we would make it just the review and the interview with the author. And that has worked really well. Our open rates definitely improved. And I think it's more things like that, Cindy, you know, getting that feedback that booksellers were saying, we're really trying to communicate more with our customers. And we'd appreciate if you went to once a week instead of two for shelf for readers. Those kinds of, you know, adjustments and accommodations, I think, are more along the lines of, you know, how we've tried to really work with our with our readers. I, I can't think of anything, honestly, that hasn't worked. It's more, you know, how can we adjust to fit the times? And, you know, that was one of my favorite things, too, about the pre-order e-blast that we launched in May 2020. You know, here's COVID hitting in March. Suddenly, Amazon's not delivering books. And, you know, this is something that Jen Risco, our publisher, had been thinking about for a while. And suddenly, the timing was exactly right. So to be able to launch the pre-order e-blast in May 2020, when so many publishers were losing touch with a lot of their patrons, was a way to really keep them engaged, keep them thinking about books that are coming, keeping them ordering books that were on the horizon. and. You know, those are the kinds of things that I feel like we're small enough. I think there are only just about 16 of us at Shelf who are full-time. So, you know, we're, we're small and flexible. You can bob and weave. <laughs> yes, we can bob and weave. I love those pre-order emails because I go through them to make sure there's not anything that has gotten by me because, you know, as you mentioned, everybody gets a thousand emails all the time. And so I feel like it's so overwhelming. But it's a great way for me just to quickly run through the titles and be like, oh, wait a minute, I haven't seen anything about this book. Let me go look it up. And so it's very helpful. And then it's fascinating to me and in a good way that you all reach out to the bookstore several weeks ahead so that they can be ready to go. I mean, that's fantastic because I do know from talking to all these different bookstores and being in so many of them, they have limited space and there are so many books coming out all the time. So trying to decide what to sell and what to have in the store is a tough thing. So if you're giving them guidance, this is what we're going to be focusing on. When people come in, they'll be able to just grab it immediately versus having to wait for it to be ordered. Yes. And Cindy, I also want to mention that the pre-order e-blast, unlike some of our other product, is absolutely changeable for the bookstore partner. So for example, if Blue Willow was, was going to have a big gardening event they could fill their entire pre-order with gardening books. So it gives the bookseller a chance to really think about how can I best use this pre-order e-blast? They don't have to go with the titles that we have put together. You know, we're recommending certain titles that we think are going to be successful across most indie bookstores. But we have several, you know, I'm thinking of book people, for example, where they do just just signed books that they have in the store because of events that are coming up. So a lot of stores have been really clever about how they use these mailings. And I must have heard Christiane speak as well at Mountains and Plains because several of the things you're telling me, I think she spoke about there, being able to sub out the things for the pre-sale and something else you mentioned before. And I thought, I think she told us all of this. So in addition to speaking to her privately, I must have heard her speak as well. Wonderful. Yes. And that's great. It's good outreach for you all to do that various places. Yes. As I said, we're really trying to reach the new booksellers who may not have heard about us yet. So they know, you know, we're there to support them and give them hopefully tools that can be helpful to them. 
And you mentioned 16 being small, but I was amazed when I got on your website and saw the amount of staff that you have. I think that's impressive. Thank you, Cindy. I mean, when I started, there were only four, I think. For everything you all are putting out, 16 seems like a very reasonable number. Thank you, Cindy. What's next for self-awareness? What a good question. You know, I think a lot of what we have done has been responsive to what booksellers need. So I think a lot of our thinking is really, you know, some of the things I haven't talked about are the fact that Shelf sends out a lot of the regional newsletters as well with the titles that are, you know, Indie Next considerations or have been picked for that region. So I'm sure that when we, as we get more and more feedback from booksellers, we will start to think about other things that may be useful to them. Well, and I was thinking that when we were talking about what didn't work and your answer in terms of being responsive to bookstores, I'm sure there's just been a lot of evolving over almost 20 years because that's a long time and social media has become so much more prominent during that time period, the usage of the internet, all of it. So I'm sure that there has just been change that you've had to sort of make your way through as everything else has evolved around us. Yes, that is true. And I think it's all been exciting. Absolutely. I always love to see what's coming and to see what people do and the innovative ideas and everything. It's fun to watch it all play out. And it's been such an exciting time for booksellers. I mean, there are so many new stores and so many opportunities for people to think differently about what a bookstore is, you know, with the coffee shops and, you know, spaces for story time. And, you know, I just have been so amazed at some of the innovations that have been going on and and the number of pop-up bookstores that have now become bricks and mortar after trying out an experiment and then saying, okay, we can commit to renting a space and really making this happen. I love when these pop-up bookstores have been able to convert themselves into brick and mortar shops. It's just so encouraging. And I know when I started doing all of this long before the podcast, but just the book reviewing and being more involved in the book world, probably six or seven years ago, people would say to me all the time, but books are dying and they're moving, you know, more online and eBooks. And first of all, I was like, well, eBooks are still books, but print books are actually really holding their own. I think there was a bump initially because everybody's like, this is a new concept. But then there are a lot of people, myself included, who much prefer to hold a book, that physical part of reading. I just love an actual book. And so I think that there has been so much great education prior to COVID. And then you touched on this for shelf awareness's part during COVID. But I feel like the ABA also did such an amazing job of getting the word out about bookstores and creative ways to do things and how to help them survive. I just felt like all of that was handled so well in the book world prior to COVID in terms of trying to adjust to Amazon and everything else that's happened. But during COVID, just such amazing messaging. Yes. And Cindy, you've just reminded me too that, you know, recently there was a children's institute, which was focused primarily on children's booksellers that the ABA sponsors. And one of the most interesting panels, I thought, that was covered in Shelf Awareness Pro was about book banning and how bookstores can help support their local librarians and how they can get support if there are individuals coming into the store and saying, I can't believe you carry this book. It's been banned in our schools. How could you have it here? You know, I think that is probably the greatest challenge facing booksellers right now is that, you know, really strong voice in the community who's saying, 
not all books are for everyone, you know, and how do you sort of step back and return with a really strong united front as booksellers? Well, and I'm in Texas, so I feel like we're on the ground floor, sadly, of a lot of that book banning business. And this whole new law that's going to really impact bookstores and libraries and everything. It's a mess. Yes. So, yes, I do think that it is so helpful that you have these entities that are staying very current with what's happening everywhere and then providing such wonderful messaging. Because I think you take a time like COVID where the entire world is falling apart and things could really go south pretty quick. But instead, the ABA, Shelf Awareness, I'm sure plenty of other book-related entities majorly stepped up and allowed all of those stores to actually do very well and then implement things that they're still using now when COVID is essentially done, at least the lockdowns are done and the separating is done. I agree. And I think a lot of booksellers took that opportunity to build up their websites to figure out how to make their internet facing presence to their patrons more effective and valuable to their patrons. And I think you're right. All of those things have lasted well into our hopefully other side of COVID. Well, and I think about some of the TikTok videos and people being able to tour the store via FaceTime and things like that, that people can now come into the store when they couldn't when they were closed. But if I'm in Houston and I want to tour a store in Iowa, you know, I potentially can get on the phone with a bookseller who can do a tour for me or recommend books or do something innovative and different than they would have thought about pre-COVID. Yes. It's amazing. It is amazing. I know. I just love it. Well, is there anything I didn't think to ask about that I should have? Well, I would love to tell you about a few of my favorite books currently. That's always my favorite part. I love to hear what people recommend. Well, one of my favorite books so far this year is Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. And that's a Pantheon book that came out last month. I got to hear him at Winter Institute, which is the ABA sort of smaller conference that's held in the winter. And this year it was in Seattle. And he's just an amazing human, first of all. But the book itself is just a searing takedown of the penal system through a kind of sci-fi, I guess you would call it, sort of a slightly futuristic setting. And all of these lifers, you know, people who have committed murder and are in jail for life elect to try being a chain gang all-star if they survive fights to the death, these gladiator style fights to the death against fellow inmates, then they get their freedom. So they, you know, some of them feel like, what do I have to lose? You know, either I'm going to be in jail the rest of my life, or I can have these, you know, this opportunity to compete and possibly get out of here sooner. It's amazing. And it was picked for one of the big celebrity book clubs, wasn't it? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I know he himself, uh, Jay Brenya, was picked as the National Book Foundation's Five Under 35. And he was the winner of the Penn Gene Stein Book Award. And he was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle. It was a read with Jenna pick. I just follow those pretty closely. GMA, read with Jenna and Reese, because I always like to see what they're picking. And usually then those books are everywhere. But I had no idea it had all of that other coverage as well. That's amazing. Yes, it's it's really well written. And Ajay Brenya's father was a defense attorney. So he brings a lot of his own personal knowledge of the penal system. And he includes footnotes that are actual 
situations, actual inmates and the injustices that were committed against them. So he really makes you think at the same time that he's entertaining you and you really come to care about these competitors. It sounds like a tough read, but a compelling read. Yes, but there are moments of humor and love and, you know, two of the um, competitors become involved romantically. Actually, three of them. It's kind of an interesting situation, but <laughs> it's, it's really, I mean, it just flies by. Okay, good. I feel like that book has been everywhere, so I'm glad to know it's good. And right now I am reading an early galley of Let Us Descend by Jasmine Ward. I read parts of it for our Maximum Shelf just to confirm quotes. Marilyn Dahl is our editor for Maximum Shelf, but I always cast my eye over everything. So this one, I just, I want to read from start to finish. And I just got to hear her speak recently. And one of the things she said was she, as in her personal life, she lost her partner during COVID. And she said that grief was my way to understand there were other ways that Annis, her main character, had agency and direction in the world. So Annis is the narrator of Let Us Descend, and she is born into enslavement. And this novel really chronicles her movement south through chattel slavery in the United States. And so she, you know, Jasmine Ward said that when she first started thinking about Annis, she thought, oh, she has no agency. She's a victim. She's, you know, she has so little choice. And as she got deeper into the book, she started realizing how much of the agency has to be internal. And I was so moved by what she had to say about the book. I can't wait to read it. That one is on its way to me, and I can't wait to read it either. It does sound pretty grim, and I have a hard time sometimes with things that are grim, but it sounds like an important read, and I am looking forward to reading it. Me too. I have not read her before. I haven't either. I'm ashamed to admit. I know. I was kind of ashamed to admit it too. So good. At least we can be in our shame together. (laughs) But now I want to read her entire oeuvre. Yes. I've heard that everything is really, really well done by her. So I definitely need to go back and pick some of those up. Me too, Cindy. You know, it's a funny thing. During the pandemic, I could only read essays or short stories. I just could not hold on to a longer novel. So I was so happy when my thirst for longer reads returned. But what got me through the pandemic was John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed and Ann Patchett's These Precious Days. So I'm excited to also read her new novel, Tom Lake, because she, Ann Patchett talked about how for her, it was hard to write during the pandemic. She could not sustain a longer work. So I was grateful that she gave us precious, these precious days. So much of those essays really touched on what I think so many of us were thinking during the pandemic and doing during the pandemic. And I'm just excited to read a longer work of hers again. I have these precious days from Libro FM and I still need to listen to it because I hear it's wonderful on audio, but I haven't had a chance to do that yet. I'm so glad you brought up audio, Cindy. If you know, when you talked about what hasn't been working, the one challenge I've had is covering audiobooks in shelf awareness for readers. And that is because there isn't a, a clear benefit to the indie bookseller. I mean, if you sign up for Libro FM through your local bookstore, then they definitely benefit. But in terms of reviewing audiobooks, it's a little harder for us because there isn't, it doesn't translate into a direct, you know, win for the bookstore. 
But I do occasionally, you know, in some of the roundups we do, we'll, we'll say this is amazing on audio or in s- some way make a reference to that. Because I have to say that I got on a whole roll of, you know, Finding Me by Viola Davis with her reading it. And I think it won best audio of the year from Audiophile, I want to say. And it won a Grammy. That was it, Grammy. Thank you. Because I listened to that too. And having her in my ears when I was walking and listening to it just made that book. And that was one that was a, a tough one. Yes, it definitely was. The Rats. Every time I, somebody mentions rats now, I think of that book and just how horrible that was for them. And how much she overcame. Definitely. You know, and the fact that because she had to work and she had to support her family and all of that, she was able to go into Juilliard and say, I have 45 minutes for this audition. Do you want me or not? <laughs> I just loved that. I thought they were probably sitting there with their mouths wide open. Like, who does that? I just thought that was fantastic. Yeah, no, it was very well done. And that's a good way for you to mention audiobooks. You know, if you know it's fantastic on audio, to just throw that reference in. Because I could see where it would be hard to translate all of the audiobook information into something that worked well for self-awareness. Yes. I mean, I loved your audiophile interview with Robin. And I just thought, oh, if only I could include more. Because, for example, Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. What's so wonderful about that on audiobook is you get to hear her deliver the speeches that she gave in her year of yes, when she really didn't want to do those things and told herself she was going to do them. I am not a huge audiobook listener just because I love music. And so if I'm going to listen to something, most of the time I listen to music. But every time I do listen to an audiobook, I'm so glad I did. And I think there are certain stories that just are amazing on audiobook, like Will from Will Smith. Like, you know, he had the choir singing in the background and he would rap and they would, you know, he would just have all these different things that really, to me, kind of transform the story, which it sounds like is the same way that Shonda Rhimes' story was. But I think when you can add this added benefit that you're not going to get in print, you know, so it's not just a reading of the story, but there's other things that are woven in. And I've heard Angie Cruz's How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water is also amazing. And I loved that book, but I've heard it's just amazing on audio because they incorporate a lot of sounds and other things into the story that really make it a fabulous experience. And I will say that listening to The Dutch House, which Tom Hanks narrates, Ann Patchett's novel, I felt like I, I wasn't even thinking about it, Cindy. I was driving to Michigan from New Jersey, where I live, to clean up my dad's house to put it on the market. And I wasn't even thinking about the fact that this is about a house and how it changes a family. So I felt like Tom Hanks was sitting in the passenger seat with me. And it was just cathartic. I just love when that happens. I recently listened to Elizabeth Passarella's essays because she was reading them, her latest one. And to have her reading it was just phenomenal. I felt like I was listening to a friend and I loved that. Yes. And I just wanted to mention a couple nonfiction. Can I do that? Absolutely. So Stolen Focus by Johan Sari, which is published by Crown, came out in paperback in January and it just changed my whole way of thinking around social media and what it's doing to our attention spans and all of the forces converging to keep us distracted. I I highly recommend it. Okay. That sounds really interesting. And that sounds really good. My kids really grapple with that. And I, I spend less time on social media than they do, but I know they just sometimes fight it because it is, it just sucks you in. And then like two hours later, you're like, all I have done is scroll through TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is. So that sounds like a very compelling read. 
And he interviews neurologists and even the person at Google who created the infinite scroll and just to how sort of mortified he was at what his invention has done. So he really gets the whole scope of, you know, the people who understand how this is affecting all of us. Okay, good. I'm going to definitely add that one to my list. The other one that's completely changed me, Cindy, is Smart Brevity by Jim Vandehei, Mike Allen, and Roy Schwartz. It's published by Workman. And these are the three who started first Politico and then Axios. And what they talk about is exactly how long you have someone's attention span. Once you once they moved from print to the web, they were able to actually measure how long someone will spend on a story and how many words they'll read. So that's why you find on Axios, you know, five minute read or, you know, I've noticed the New York Times has started doing that recently. And they really give you ideas about how to start a paragraph with a bang. And then, you know, it goes all the way to newsletters and meetings that you run. So it's, I think it's really going to have an impact on how corporate life sort of unfolds and smaller businesses too, but mainly the corporate world. And what's the title of that one again? Smart Brevity. Sounds like it's perfectly titled. Yes. And the last one I wanted to mention is Remote Work Revolution by Sidal Neely, N-E-E-L-E-Y. It's published by Harper Business. And she is a Harvard Business School professor who has been studying global corporations for 20 years. And then suddenly we have a pandemic and all of her ideas are applicable to everyone. And it came out, I'm trying to remember now, I think it came out right at the beginning of the pandemic. So I was just I was just riveted because she has very concrete ideas and suggestions for how to make sure everyone's included, how to make everyone feel comfortable on Zoom, how to make sure every voice is heard. And I, I just think it's really extraordinary. That is such a compelling topic for right now and so timely. I mean, I feel like daily there's some article about a company and how they're struggling with remote working and working in person and how all that's going to function. I know my husband's law firm has really struggled with that. But the flip side of it too, I see with my kids is when these things are more remote, it's so much more isolating, you know? And so it's, it is, it's a difficult thing. Yes. And you can imagine when you're dealing with a global company, when everybody has a different schedule and, you know, being really clear about who's available when, and when can we hold these meetings so we get the most voices involved. I think it's really smart. It is smart. And then you take on top of that, the fact that email and texting and all these different ways of communicating have pretty much shattered any barrier of a Monday to Friday where you would just have a work phone and people would leave you a message. And if you didn't check it, you wouldn't know about it till you showed back up on Monday. You know, now everything is accessible 24 hours a day and you really do have to set better boundaries. Yes, Jenny, this has been delightful. I'm just thrilled to pieces that you came on my show so we could talk all about self-awareness. I feel like I learned a ton and it was just such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Well, thank you. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. 
I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.